You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. That title, Apostle, do you know what it means? It means one person who is an official representative of another, and then he's sent out to go and speak on behalf of the person who sent it out. So it assumes there's some kind of a person in charge, a king, someone in authority, a dignitary, and he's not going to go and do the talking. He's going to hand-select somebody he trusts, and he's going to send them on a mission. We would call them an ambassador. We'd call them an envoy. We might call them a representative. This is Christ's hand-selected, hand-chosen apostles. I'm a visual learner. I do best when I see what I'm supposed to do. I wonder if any of these men saw themselves as a living example of obedience and prayer to God that others would follow. They believed that God would fill them with His Spirit and power to accomplish the task of sharing the story of Jesus with others. Pastor Tom speaks today about the women that were there too. Fully trusting God that they too had a role of sharing Jesus, they got involved. Will you copy the faithfulness of these individuals? Now, here's Pastor Tom in the book of Acts chapter 1 as he continues his message, learning from early disciples. When we read history, we have to interpret carefully because we're seeing God commanding them to do some things, and some of those things that they do may be appropriate for us, but some of those things may not be repeatable and they're not really applicable to us. But we do see them doing some things here. I mean, we're not going to have to sit down and choose a 12th apostle. That's already been decided for us, right? We don't have to do that. Um, we, we don't have to meet in an upper room. Here we are in this place, so we're not going to obey that part. We don't need to descend from the Mount of Olives. We didn't get to stand there and see the ascension. Those are not the specific things that we're going to do. But we can learn from this. I see here, and I hope you do too, an example of dedicated discipleship. An example of faithful discipleship. That's what I want you to get from this. Look how closely they stick to the plan and what it is that God wants them to do. They were dedicated. They were dedicated to the cause of Christ. They didn't run away. They didn't abandon ship. They stuck with the plan that Christ said. And they particularly focused on the leadership of the church and getting that prepared and getting that ready for the launching of the church. We're in the 21st century. They were in the first century. They were concerned with starting the church properly. We're more towards the end, I hope. And then we want to finish the church well. We still have to make sure that disciples are made of all the nations. They were laying a foundation. We're on the 21st floor. But yet, we're still both disciples and we can learn from one another, right? Or at least we can learn from them. So, what do we learn? Well, I think what we see here is we see dedicated disciples doing three things. They're obeying together, they're praying together, and they're working together. They're obeying together, they're praying together, and they're working together. Let's look at their obedience in verses 12 and 13. If you look back at that, I'll reread it. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, the zealot and Judas, the son of James. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. And then it mentions the women and Mary there as well. Now, please note that even though Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem, they were not 
idle during this time of waiting. There was praying going on. There were decisions going on. They were waiting because they were staying in Jerusalem. They were waiting for the clothing of power from on high by the Holy Spirit. But that doesn't mean they were just twiddling their thumb. Notice first the simple setting that we find them in, the upper room. After the ascension, the disciples walk back to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. Luke calls this a Sabbath day's distance, which was about a thousand paces or the farthest end of a town to the farthest end of another town. That's somewhere around 3,000 feet. By the way, Luke does not say this was the Sabbath day. It's just a way of describing a short distance. Around 3,000 feet, they walk back. So they did exactly and immediately what Jesus, their Lord, told them to do, as you remember, back in verse 8. They came back and they entered the city. And in Luke chapter 24 and verse 49, Jesus made it very clear, you are to stay in the city of Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. Behold again the centrality of the city of Jerusalem in God's program. Jesus chose Jerusalem to be the starting point for their witness because that's where he was crucified, buried, risen again, and that is where he ascended. It is also the city of David, their ancient king, and it will be the city of the Messiah in the future. The Jewish authorities tried to snuff out the light of Jesus Christ by his crucifixion. They intimidated, they lied about him, they tried to stop the whole movement. One candle, it seemed, was blown out when Christ died on the cross. But now they're going to find out all kinds of lights popping up all over the city. And they're not going to be able to put out the movement at all. These disciples, these simple disciples, please think about yourself. Simple disciples here were Christ's plan for spreading the truth to the whole world. He didn't have a plan B. They were his plan. Sacrifice would be needed to accomplish the plan. If they were going to fulfill the mission, they would have to sacrifice. They could have gone safely back up north to their homes in Galilee. There was much more danger for them around the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem there in the south. But that's where their leader told them to stay. And this is where they obeyed. So their staying in Jerusalem was really an act of trust that God would take care of them. They were putting their lives in harm's way for the sake of their Lord. After all, their Lord was crucified right there. Now, verse 13 says they were gathered in the upper room. It's called the upper room, please notice, because it refers to a particular upper room. This must have been a famous room, and that's why it got the designation that way. It's likely, though people can't prove this, it's likely the same place that Jesus had his last supper and uh, where he later appeared to them after The resurrection in Luke chapter 22, verses 11 and 12, it is described as a a large furnished upper room. Some have even speculated that this was the home of John Mark's mother that is mentioned in Acts chapter 12 and verse 12. That place is described as a place where many were gathered together and were praying. So it was a place many could gather. It was a large room. So maybe we're all talking about the same room here. It's called the upper room because it was upstairs. In that culture, the homes were typically flat, and then if they wanted to expand, they could expand up by building on the roof. So there would be a floor, and then they would have an upper room built on what used to be the roof there. It may be that Luke is indicating this room was large enough to hold that whole gathering of 120 persons. Typically, going up to a second floor was more appealing if you lived in the city anyway Because it would be more private, because the streets were narrow, and who knew who was walking right outside and doing some eavesdropping? 
Listening ears or prying eyes. If you went up to the upper room, you'd have more privacy. According to Luke chapter 24, while they are here in Jerusalem in that